Welcome to the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ, located in the Lehigh Valley of Pennsylvania. I'm Pastor Mike Landsman, and these podcasts are taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. We pray that they will bless you, and we would love for you to come visit us and make our church home, hopefully, become your church home. Here's what we have for today. In this set of readings today, we see an interesting example of the parallels between Hannah and Samuel and Jesus and Mary. And in a way, this sermon kind of follows on last week's where we talked about, um, where we focused, the the whole focus of the sermon was on on Mary herself. And so in, in a way, this one kind of continues on with that. And so in theological terms, right, one of the ways we look at the relationship between the Old and the New Testament is between these two terms called type and anti-type. So I'm going to explain what this is. At its basic level, this means a person or event in the Old Testament, a.k.a. the type, prefigures its fulfillment in the New Testament, which is called the anti-type. See? Pretty easy. Type and anti-type. A quick example of this would be St. Paul's use of comparing Adam and Jesus, right? St. Paul writes, through Adam all have died, but through Jesus all are made alive, type and anti-type. This doesn't work just for Jesus, though. We see this type of thing in other characters in the Old and the New Testaments, and as to those characters we now turn, particularly Hannah and Samuel. So we, in, in the reading we just heard, we have to think back a little bit about the story of Hannah. Hannah is the mother of the prophet Samuel. Now, way back, not this summer, but the previous summer, we went through the book of Judges. And I know you all remember everything I said <laughs> when we went through that series in that summer, summer period where we went through the book of Judges. But it ended, the book of Judges, with everyone did what they wanted to do. Everyone did what was right, it says, in their own eyes. After this repetitive cycle of sin, enslavement, repentance, and deliverance. So it is into this world that Samuel comes. And he becomes the prophetic figurehead for the worship of Israel's true God, Yahweh. He later anoints Saul and then David as kings of Israel. So yeah, you could say he's kind of a big deal, Samuel. At the beginning of the book, named after him, his mother Hannah, she cannot have children, while her husband's other wife has many. So she goes to the tabernacle, and she prays for a son, and promises God that if he grants her this request, she would devote him to God. So the priest Eli, when he sees her doing this, he thinks she's drunk because she's not verbalizing. She's praying silently, and he tries to kick her out. He's like, get out of here, drunkie. And she says, no, no, I'm not drunk. I'm praying. What's wrong with you? And he's like, oh, sorry. And then he says, well, God will grant your request. And God does. God does. He opens her womb, and Samuel is conceived. So after Samuel is weaned, she takes him back, and Samuel lives there at the tabernacle with Eli in service to the Lord, ministering before the Lord. So what's important to note here is that Elkanah and Hannah, father and mother, they make annual trips to Shiloh to worship the Lord. They do this every year without fail. So we have to put our minds here into the situation, right? So the people of Israel at this point, right, this is just after the book of Judges has ended. It's kind of like this lawless period, sort of like the American Old West, where there's like trappings of authority, of civil authority, but there's not really actual civil authority. You can just kind of Justice could be like mob justice. There's really nothing anybody could do about it. It's kind of like the Old West in a sense, right? So in Israel, you have the worship of all of these false gods that everybody's just kind of doing their own thing. 
But what we see with, with, with Samuel's parents is they're making this annual trip to the tabernacle to worship Israel's true God in the middle of apostasy, in the, in the middle of idolatry. So we see here that they are truly pious people. And this piety is passed on to their son. He experiences formation in the faith from his parents. And as a boy, he ministers in the Lord's presence. This is a contrast to the sinful adult sins of the sons of Eli, who abused their own positions. And so this reading begins with him wearing a linen ephod. And an ephod was a piece of clothing that was normally worn by priests. And even though he's not a priest, it says that he wears one as he ministers before the Lord. It's not normal for small children to wear priestly garments, nor offer liturgical worship services, right? That would be crazy if, if Zach came up here, and I put the stole on him, and I'm like, all right, go to town, buddy. And I sat down, and Zach led us all in worship, right? Or Riley or Reagan, if they were to come up here and put the stole on in a row, it's not something that's normally done. <clears throat> Notice also here in that reading that Hannah doesn't stop going to worship just because God answered her prayer. She continues to go, bringing gifts for Samuel. And every time she would go, Eli would bless her. And every time she would go, she'd be blessed. She would be gifted with more children. And this reading ends with Samuel, it says, growing in the presence of the Lord, and it says, growing in favor with God and with man. Commenting on this section, St. John Chrysostom says, Hannah commended Samuel into the hands of God. The high priest Eli had no real ability to form him, since he even failed to form his own children. It was the mother's faith and zeal that made everything possible. He was her first and only child. She did not know if she would ever have another, yet she never said, I will wait till he grows up. He should have a taste of worldly pleasures during his childhood, at least. No, she rejected all of these thoughts, for she had only one object how from the very beginning she could dedicate her heart's delight to God. Be ashamed, you men, at the wisdom of this woman. She gave Samuel to God, and with God she left him, and thus her marriage was blessed more than ever because her first concern was for spiritual things. She dedicated the first fruits of her womb to God and obtained many more children in return. She saw Samuel honored even in this life. If men return honor for honor, will not God do so much more? What's worth noting here, that in the point that he makes beautifully, is that Samuel's mother was the one who formed his faith. But she was also aware that he was a gift. And she was determined to lend him to the Lord, as she said. Notice this does not cause a loss of relationship, but a deepening of it. And this is a wonderful type of Mary and Jesus, hence their pairing in today's reading. So we turn to the story in the Gospel of Luke of Mary and Jesus. So it says his parents went every year to the feast of Passover, and when he was 12, they went up as was custom. So we again see here something interesting. Just like we saw Hannah going to Shiloh to worship every year, we see the Holy Family doing the same thing. This is not surprising to me, given what we saw with Mary earlier in the story. Remember her acceptance of bearing Jesus, and remember her song that we spoke about last Sunday. We see in that song, the Magnificat, the woman who knows something about God. She may have been illiterate. She may not have been. We don't know. But she knows something of the scriptures. She knows something of the true God. And it's not 
a stretch of the imagination to say that her raising of Jesus was according to the lessons she had learned from these scriptures. So just as Hannah's faith and zeal made everything possible, so too does Mary's faith and zeal. And it's not a stretch to say that going to the yearly Passover pilgrimage to Jerusalem would have an effect on Jesus' self-identity and his continuing deepening understanding of his mission. Oops. Because we see, like the type of Samuel, Jesus, the antitype, also increases in favor with God and with man. And so what seems to us to be a shocking display of a lack of parenting, the preteen Jesus kind of gets lost. Now the historian Josephus says, Passover in Jerusalem at this time is a really big deal. So he said, the numbers might be wrong, who knows. But he said something that's remember like 3 million people during the Passover feast coming in and out of Jerusalem, right? And so it's normal for big groups of people to be traveling in and out of the city together. So you can see how this could happen, right? And so for me, reading this story, I can't help think of, but I can't help but think of the, the Home Alone, right? Be, work with me for a second here, okay? So in Home Alone, Kevin's sleeping. Everybody else wakes up, but they don't wake him up because they think he's awake. So the family loads the van, and they're like, count all the kids. So while they're counting a kid, a neighborhood kid walks over to the van. He looks inside like this. They think it's Kevin. They count him as Kevin, and then he leaves. And the family piles in the van. They run to the airport. They're in such a hurry. They jump on the plane. The parents are in first class like jerks. Everybody else is in coach, and they fly away. And then all of a sudden, they realize they left Kevin at home. And he wakes up, and he goes downstairs, and he's by himself. This is how I kind of like to think of this story with Jesus. Not that, that they're bad parents. It's just, eh, whoops. So imagine like the fear and the frustration as a parent they must have felt. Because it says that they went a day's journey out. So then they had to journey a day back. And the text later says they found him after three days. So it was a day out, a day back, plus another day of looking for him. And then they finally, they look everywhere for him and they finally find him in the temple. They find him sitting not only in the temple, but he's he's not sitting there crying. He's sitting there with the teachers of the law, listening to them and asking them very hard questions. Very hard questions. So at this time, what you would do is, is you would have the teacher would be sitting on a bench, the seat of Moses, and then the students would be seated on a bench just underneath, literally kind of at their feet. And that's the way that they would do it. They would ask questions back and forth. Excuse me. So Jesus is there doing this. He's answering their questions, asking his own to the teachers of the law. Now, this is not something a child normally does, okay? Children don't normally, people don't say, hey, Pastor Mike, could you really talk to my 12-year-old? He has some really penetrating, he has questions I don't know the answer to. Now, this is normal, right? Sometimes kids do have questions that we don't know the answer to. But a little kid doesn't say, Pastor Mike, I'd like to make an appointment with you. And I say, okay, I'll just make up a name. Okay, little Timmy, what do you want to talk about? Well, I want to talk about perichoresis and the interrelationship between the the Trinitarian God, the the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and how that works. That's never happened, (laughs) okay? Like, kids might ask questions, hey, what's the Trinity? Like, kind of explain that to me. But no little child has ever come up to me and said, a 12-year-old kid, and said, explain to me perichoresis which I don't even know. So I'd be like, I don't know. Here, go talk to somebody else. Right? That's not normal. That's not normal. So 
Just like we see with Samuel, we see this formation. So his parents ask him, why did you do this? Why did you run away? Why did you, why did you leave us? And he says, why, why? why? Why are you surprised? Like, should you, why are you surprised that I'm in my father's house or going about my father's business? This should be shocking, right? Because at 12 years old, the child Jesus is already calling himself the Lord of the temple. So in this, he surpasses Samuel as Samuel ministers before the Lord in the tabernacle. But Jesus is the Lord of the space where people minister before the Lord because Jesus himself is the Lord. The story also notes that they did not understand, that they did not understand. But it says Mary treasured and pondered these things in her heart. That means she thought about these events over and over and over again. Not just these events, right? But the miraculous birth, the annunciation, the birth, the star, the shepherds, the angels, the flight to Egypt, the whole story, right? She, this, this situation where she finds him at the temple, she's thinking about these things. She's pondering them in her heart over and over and over again. And it's not a stretch to say that she spoke with Jesus about all of this stuff, about the angelic visit, her song, and the events of his life. Because this is what parents do. And it ends with this. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. And this is just like at the end of Samuel. Jesus always knew who he was, but his sense of identity and mission and his understanding of that mission was shaped by the scriptures, which we saw he was familiar enough with to talk to about the, with the teachers of the people. But that was formed by, I think the text is pretty clear here, with his relationship, particularly with his mother. So it's easy at times to overlook how many of us have been formed in our journeys of faith. For many people, the primary person who communicated the faith to us was a faithful mom. My own mom recently sent me a relic from my childhood. It was it's a little small pillow. What she used to do is she used to, we used to have Bible time, and she would, I would sit on her lap or sit next to her, and then she would have this little pillow, and she would put her Bible on it, and she would read me Bible stories. And then she'd have a sheet of paper, and then she'd draw sometimes the story of a sheet of paper. And if I did a memory verse, she'd give me a spoonful of honey. There's a Bible verse about the prophet eating the scroll, and it tasted like honey. So she would give me a spoonful of honey which is probably why I like honey so much. And I, I put it in my coffee every day instead of sugar. She would draw pictures. My dad did stuff like this as well, right? But my mom, this was her day-to-day -day work at home of modeling and teaching the faith. This was a significant part of my spiritual formation, brothers and sisters. And this story rings true for many. And this formation contributes to our mission, to our identity of who we are and what God has called us to do. And we see this on display in these readings today, that the work of Jesus and Samuel began not with them as individuals, but with the piety of their own mothers. Think of the example of Hannah dedicating her son to the work of the Lord, even as she doesn't know if she'll ever have another child. What kind of devotion and trust and love for God that couldn't help but rub, uh, rub off on a young Samuel. And think of Mary, her obedience to a seemingly impossible task models for her own son his own obedience to an impossible task that he will ask his father in the garden to please remove if possible. But he says, not my will, but your will be done. Echoing Mary's, be it unto me according to your word. And so for many people, 
They may not have the blessing of being shaped and formed in the faith by a pious mother or a pious father. Some people come to faith late in life or come to faith out of families that were agnostic or atheist or just ambivalent to faith. Fortunately, we have you covered. That's where the church comes in. St. Cyprian once wrote, you cannot have God for your father if you do not have the church for your mother. So then let us, brothers and sisters, follow the example of piety given to the church by Hannah and by Mary and other faithful moms. Let us ourselves follow Christ and so under the guidance of the church grow not only in wisdom, stature, and favor with God and with man, but also in love. And so to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, be all glory together with his Father who is from everlasting and his all-holy good and life-giving spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. We have deep roots here in our community, and we predate the founding of the United States itself. If you're looking for a traditionally grounded, biblically faithful church, come visit us. We just might be the church you're looking for. If you'd like to email me, you can reach me at malandsman at gmail.com. Please be sure to check us out online, zionstoneucc.com, and check us out on Facebook at Zionstone UCC. Thanks again for listening, and God bless you.